0: so this is today today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today you traveled through time to the present yes yeah I don't think you get how time travel works it's like we're stuck you know like a like a needle on a scratch record I wake up every day right here right in Punxsutawney and it's always February second. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing it? where the same day keeps happening. Time, 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 time. Slow down! What are you in a damn time loop or something? Well, it's Groundhog Day again. And that must mean that I am Professor Robert E. G. Black, here to discuss Groundhog Day. Again. Still. Always. What is the meaning of a rule? One problem with screenplay rules is that they are as flexible as the rules of language. I could pick a singular source and quote them, get my inputs and outputs just right so I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but the contradictions and inconsistencies amuse me. My language of film derives primarily from watching film. Though I have read a few screenplay books front to back, and I've got eight tabs open in Chrome right now about the inciting incident and or the call to action, and the thing is I have already broken ground, as it were, on a podcast I want to do when this trilogy is over. I love the Movies by Minutes format, and we'll likely have at least one show operating minute by minute like this, but I want to do a show where we, me and a guest, cover a single minute of a movie, and that's it. Except that isn't it. Because I'm calling that show Minute 17, and it hinges on the notion that page 17 in your screenplay, Minute 17 in your film, or thereabouts, the plot is set in motion. So find that moment, and you can extrapolate outward. How did the script set up everything to come? Have we met all of our players? Had we no access to the description of the film's plot, and had seen no trailers? Do we know what kind of movie lies ahead? With Ex Machina, we've had the setup of Nathan's manipulation, and we've met our trio of leads. And session one between Caleb and Ava is done however unrealistically short it was. We know that it is going to be a cerebral film that plays itself out in conversation, that it is going to play on commentary on the ways men and women use and abuse each other all the time, people manipulate one another. I was going to say men and women, but after just that first session with Ava and with no context of the rest of the film, we don't necessarily see how the film will comment on gender specifically. Still, the seeds have been planted. In Groundhog Day, if we do not know what is coming, we might not have any reason to guess time loop. I mean, no one expects a time loop. Our chief weapon is surprise! Man in Hallway is a loop marker, but in the context so far, he is just one of many reminders for Phil that he hates visiting Punxsutawney. We've been warned about the blizzard, and Minute 17 will hinge on that quite explicitly. And given no exterior knowledge of the plot to come, we could guess that Phil would be trapped in Punxsutawney. He will have to spend an extra second in this tiny hamlet in western Pennsylvania. But even if we might not be inclined to expect the supernatural bending of time, it has been set up. Someday somebody's going to see me interviewing a ground, and think I don't have a future. Chance of departure today, 100%. Not to mention the play of a weatherman's job, or an insurance salesman's job, being all about the future. And now, Phil is stuck, or the van is anyway, in a line of cars blocked by a jackknifed brig rig. He just got out of the van because that's who Phil Connors is. Something gets in his way. If something gets in your way, he turns. 10! I will cite one of the tabs I've got open because the author uses Groundhog Day as an example. Ivo Raza, Script, 26 February 2015. Quote One could argue that in Groundhog Day, the inciting incident is the first time Bill Murray hears the same wake up song. But this is not an inciting event. It is simply part of his new routine and happens several times. So by definition, it is not the inciting incident. Is it the fact that he has to repeat the same day over and over? Is the inciting incident waking up? In Groundhog Day, no event prompts this new reality. It just happens. Could it be that banal? And still work? End quote. I'm thinking. (sighs) The inciting incident, by definition, could never be the song, especially before the first resumption, but it's possible that Raza is being flippant. Bill Murray doesn't hear the song. Phil Connors does, but I nitpick. It's what I do. Raza is correct. This is not an inciting event, but neither is it part of his new routine. At least not until there is a new routine. The inciting incident must pre-exist any new routine. That's the point. The inciting incident is also not Phil traveling to Punxsutawney for the fourth year in a row. But Raza does not make that argument. Let us focus on Raza because they argue that there is no inciting incident in Groundhog Day that no event prompts this new reality, but I disagree. In the Groundhog Day project day 13, I want to stay an extra second in Punxsutawney, I suggested with tongue firmly in cheek that a moment that happens at the beginning of minute 18 set off the time loop. I wrote, after a gif of Phil being hit by a snow shovel while he's using the gas station phone, quote, See, something just knocked Phil's essence loose from one reality and let him experience a bunch of others. End quote. But it isn't that. The key to understanding the inciting incident, the call to action, or what have you, is to understand the plot. Groundhog Day benefits from never explaining itself. And this isn't to suggest that a Connors loop is the only one that works for stories. Obviously it is not. But that doesn't mean that we cannot understand why the time loop visits this particular individual in this particular moment in his life. He needs it. He wants it. Outwardly, he is desperate to get out of this little town and back to the big city. Hell, he's desperate to get out of that big city and into a bigger one. There is a major network interested in me. But that is because his life is rudderless. I argued in the Groundhog Day Project Day 8, I'm just trying to give you your money's worth, quote, Phil Connors is not only a weatherman, which means he makes a living out of telling people what's coming for them, but he's arrogant, self-centered, and a jerk. As Danny Rubin says in How to Write Groundhog Day, wouldn't that be just the right person to get his comeuppance? But does Phil get his comeuppance? If all of this repetition is just happening. And if we take this repetition as a mere representation of what life is anyway, then is there any comeuppance? Isn't what we're watching just the natural progression of a life lived? We live for ourselves until we realize that what we do does matter. Then, unless we're doing something wrong or there's something wrong with us, we live for others. End quote. So the question becomes, what makes this the movie it is, with the plot it has, that is not simply a man living his life? Phil Connors is so desperate to get back to Pittsburgh that in minute 17 he will hesitate to get back into the van when the presented option is freezing to death. He considers death over Punxsutawney. Then at the gas station, end of minute 17, beginning of minute 18, he tries to use his celebrity to find a special way out. It isn't the shovel hitting him that sets things in motion. It is the audacity and arrogance on display when all he has to get back to is a sad existence in a city he doesn't even like. Phil chooses the time loop, or the time loop chooses Phil because the alternative is death. Maybe Phil wouldn't die in a literal sense, but he is already dying on the inside and stuck in Pittsburgh versus stuck in Punxsutawney. They are both the same until Phil is forced to consider anything else. In the same Day 8 blog entry, I concluded, In the early draft, Phil talks to a priest, and there's an interesting exchange in which the priest says, You think nobody understands you. You're all alone. Nobody has ever felt what you're feeling. Could be you're wrong. People come in here all the time saying just what you're saying, going through what you're going through. Now, this might be literal in this draft, but in terms of what we know from the film and, well, from life, isn't this just Phil being the everyman, or at least the every teenager? We're all unique little snowflakes and nobody can understand us. Not fully, anyway. Unless we're all actually the same, of course. Winter is just another step in the cycle of life, and life is just what happens to each of us, however repetitive, however unique we might think it is. There's a guy who calls himself Mystery Man, who made an interesting, and I think insightful, observation about Phil Connors in an online blog about subtext. He suggests that Phil was trapped in his life before, a life that made him bitter and insensitive. I liked the idea of that. And I think it's what I'm trying to get at. Phil Connors wasn't trapped in Punxsutawney. He was trapped in Pittsburgh. End quote. But I don't think we can trust Evo Raza anyway, because regarding the inciting incident in The Breakfast Club, they say, quote, the kids are in detention because they did something days before the beginning of the film. End quote. When quite explicitly on page 17 of the script, and yes, I happen to just have it handy, we've got Brian trying to explain what makes different clubs different from one another. And the whole point in the film is, like Groundhog Day, not that these kids are trapped in detention, but what happens when they are trapped in detention. The plot is not detention, it's conversation and connection. And for Phil, as for John and Brian and Claire and Allison and Andrew, the plot is not being trapped. It is doing something within that trap. Detention is a setting, not a plot device, per se. And in Ruben's original script for Groundhog Day, the time loop had already begun by page one. The time loop is a setting. In the Connors loop, the time loop is just an extended metaphor for any dark night of the soul, or for, quite simply, a life. Like this week's time loop of the week. Most of life is just junk, right? It's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time, if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. I think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever, but not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan planned it like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. Time. Time. The last revision is what counts, apparently. Time. What if we found Time. them all? All the perfect things in this one town, Time. in this one day, we could collect them. I talked about Zbigniew Rybczynski's short film Tango last week. This week, it's another short of his, entitled simply Imagine, and set to the tune of the song by John Lennon. The link to the short should be in the description for this episode, and it's only four minutes long, so if you want, pause this and go watch it, but I will describe it, maybe with too much detail. Imagine encompasses a life in four minutes. It begins like tango, a room. In particular, it is a room with two doors on the left wall, two doors on the right, the one nearest camera is open, and two windows the left one open. Looking across the Hudson River at the skyline of New York City, there is a tricycle in the room and the film begins with the young boy climbing in the open window, mounting the tricycle, and heading into the next room and riding in a circle around the young girl he finds there. She has to open a door on the right to go into the next room where a different, slightly older boy tosses a ball toward the different, slightly older girl now entering in her stead. She ignores the ball and circles the boy, gives him an apple. The girl opens the farther door on the right, the boy opens the closer door, another older boy waits in the next room, leaning against the wall between the doors on the right with an apple in his hand the girl, older now, enters and twirls. The first boy, older now, enters, apple in hand. The girl gracefully passes by and opens the closer door into the next room as both boys take a bite from their apples. Two older boys wait in the next room for the much older girl entering in a more adult black dress instead of the girly white one she had before. She sits on the floor and then lies back. The boys both sling their jackets over their shoulders and proceed into the next room where they enter, older, to find that same older girl waiting for them. Puberty got to them later, than it got to her, as it were. And they still aren't quite there, as they look at her but keep walking on by to the next room where she lies still on the floor. But there are now two chairs for the now-again older boys to both sit, straddling the chairs backward. She gets up and leaves, entering the next room, which has gained curtains and a bed with a teddy bear on it. She grabs the bear and moves on to the next empty room. But all its doors open, and four teenage boys enter from the four doors. She drops the bear, but we follow an older woman who enters the farther door on the right and pulls one of the boys along with her into the next room. A second boy follows through the closer door, and the first girl waits by the window, unseen by the second woman and boy moving along to the next room. The second boy keeps walking, and the next room has numerous couples dancing, including the girl we've been following, and second woman and the boy she chose making out against the wall. The boy we're following now finds a young woman by the wall and leads her through the closer door into the next room. The other couple is making out by the windows, and as the new boy kisses the new girl's neck, and she is not into it, they leave, into a bedroom, and onto the bed, chasing a dachshund off the bed and into the next room, where this woman hurriedly grabs her clothes and leaves, still in her underthings. She enters the next room, pregnant. This bedroom is cluttered, and the man on the bed is dressed and frustrated. We follow him and his suitcase out of that room into the next. Three women dressed, as you'd expect prostitutes, are there. He grabs one by the arm and leads her into the next room. Another man comes in and grabs another of the women. And this room blends into the next as the man we're following loses his woman to another man in a chair. And in the next room, he finds a woman and a baby, and they seem happy enough. Walking together into the next room, where grandparents wait on a couch, watching on a television this very scene, they go together into the next room, a dining room, and we follow the butler into the next room which barely contained the grand piano, and into the next, which has a horse eating hay, and the next, which has a tricycle. The butler positions the tricycle and leaves, and the film is set to begin again. And maybe that's too detailed. I hope I recounted it quickly. As I write this, of course, I do not know how it will go, so I will also summarize. Simply put, the short treats life itself as a time loop, with repeating patterns and repeating settings, and it is the details that matter. Continuity is not the thing but rather anything that breaks continuity. Additionally, while there are usually at least two time loops of the week, because of a guest, I just learned of a new one just yesterday. I was playing on my PlayStation episode one of a game called Life is Strange. I knew very little of the premise, but I'd heard good things on a YouTube video. Turns out, it is entirely about a teenage girl who can reverse time when she makes bad decisions. And she has to try to navigate the private school where she's a student, where I don't know what all is going to happen, because I've only played part of episode one, but I'm quite fascinated by the notion, because it is essentially taking life as a video game, or the reverse. The fact that a video game you can have saves and repeats becomes the plot of the video game itself. And so the time loop, and this would be a premature time loop, as it were, not a Connor's loop, although interestingly. You could treat it like a Connor's loop along the way, try to make your character better. I don't know. I made specific choices already about what my character is like. She tells the truth about everything, except in regards to her friend from five years ago. She will lie to make sure their relationship is okay. And I'll see how that goes when I play it some more. So, second time loop of the week, Life is Strange. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. O life, of life. the questions, questions of, these of these recurring, of, of the, the endless trains, trains of, the of, the of the faithless, of cities filled, filled with the foolish, of myself forever reproaching myself, for whom more foolish than I, and whom more faithless, of eyes that vainly crave the light, of the objects mean, of the struggle ever renewed, of the poor results of all, of the plodding and sordid crowds I see around me, of the empty and useless years of the rest, with the rest me intertwined, the question, O me, so sad and recurring. What good, good amid, peace, amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you, you are, are here. here, that life exists, and identity, identity. That, that the powerful, powerful play, play goes, goes on, on and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Verse Phil Connors is a womanizer who thinks he is too good for the life he leads. His need to get back to his own empty life simply because it is the life he knows is the inciting incident that frees him, because he cannot go back. He has to find something better by becoming someone better. As Minute 17 begins, he is not free yet. On page 17 of the final revision of the script, we get a scene we don't get in the film. Another variation on the tip-top scene. Interior. Diner. Later. Phil is sitting at a table having a cup of coffee in a busy, loud, and lively cafe. In the background, an old lady is playing 76 trombones on a Hammond organ. Rita enters from outside and rejoins Phil at their table. Phil is in the midst of a story, playing to an audience of bustling waitresses, short-order cooks, and half-interested patrons. Phil. At that time, the National Weather Service predicted Hurricane Guinevere would come ashore in Georgia. I said, "Uh uh-uh. You're not watching the Gulfstream boys. She's going to hit New York City. Patrons. Oh. Phil sits back, satisfied. Patrons nod politely. Phil. Mayor of New York wouldn't take my call. City got creamed. Rita. Larry's almost got the band packed up. An old waitress, Doris, comes over with some coffee. Doris. More coffee, hon? Rita. Just a check, please. These sticky buns are just heaven. Doris. Please. Aren't they? Phil. Sarcastic. To Rita. We have to leave so soon? Doris, what's the rush? We just got handed six more weeks of winter. Phil, that's just a rumor. The groundhog heard it from the Easter Bunny. Phil gets his coat from the coat tree. Rita, I don't think Phil's a believer. Doris, Phil? An old geezer sitting at the counter behind them responds. Gus, like the groundhog. Various voices. Hey, Phil. Shadows scare you this morning? Another, have a good nap? Another, hollow log too small for you? Phil glowers at them. Already sick of hearing this. Larry pokes his head in the doorway and spots Rita. Larry, you ready? We better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. Phil, that storm is going to miss us completely, you know. They leave, and then we get the van from last minute into this minute. And they have not stayed ahead of the weather. Phil walks away from the van, and he doesn't even have his coat. As late as the script revision before the final one, Phil was still driving his own car rather than even sitting in the van. Ahead of Phil, near a parked police car, is the driver of the Big Rig and State Trooper, played on set by Tim Milanovich, but whose voice was replaced in post with Rennie Santoni. From State Trooper's name tag, we can see that his name is G. DeLeonardi, named for George DeLeonardi, the film's transportation captain. DeLeonardi, to truck driver. You gotta take this thing out of here. Phil reaches him and touches him on the shoulder. Phil. Hey, Commander! What's going on? De Leonardi. It's nothing wrong with the road. road. Cut to Phil, shivering. Big blizzard, blizzard moving in, in. Phil. What Blood blizzard? It's a couple of flakes. flakes. Cut to De Leonardi. De Leonardi. Don't you, you listen to the weather? weather we we got a major storm, storm here. here. By the end of that line we're back on Phil. And of course he has to interrupt. He can see the trooper's car, the tow truck, the big brake, not to mention near a dozen cars lined up in two lanes and he still can't face the reality that he can't get back to the empty comfort of his life in Pittsburgh. And what does he do? He essentially claims himself a god. Not as literally as he will later in the film, but close enough. Phil. I, I make, make the weather. weather. All, All of this, this moisture coming, coming up out of, out of the Gulf, Gulf is going to push off to, off to the east to and the Delta. Delta. Back to De Leonardi, who raises a finger at Phil. De Leonardi. Pal, you, you got, got that moisture on your head. head. Back To Phil, still shivering.
1: Now, now you, can you can go, go back, back to, to Punxsutawney.
0: Punxsutawney. Well, that ain't an option, is it? Back to De Leonardi. Or you can, or you can go, go ahead and, and freeze to death. Back. It amuses me that back to Punxsutawney is pointing back the way they came. You know, literal. But go ahead and freeze to death. De Leonardi gestures with his thumb behind him, which is the way that is blocked. So Phil can quite literally not go that way. It's your, your choice. choice. And that's it. It's minute 17. It's not quite page 17. We cut back to Phil. It's his choice. D. Leonardi continues as Phil turns to consider, but doesn't even turn enough to see the van again. Someone honks their horn. So, so what's it gonna be? be? Finally, Phil looks forward, roughly into camera, then turns back far enough to see the van, then to D. Leonardi. We hear a siren from somewhere close by. Phil, I'm, I'm thinking... thinking... Smash cut. Interior, gas station. Phil on the payphone. The van out the window by the pumps. The building across the street unidentifiable as the train station. Though everything is covered in snow and this is played as somewhere outside of town, this is Woodstock, just a block from the town square. If the van and the train station weren't blocking the view, we could see the moose lodge where they filmed the banquet, ends Act 3. As Phil talks, we can see a man shoveling snow outside. Phil, come come on. on. All the long-distance lines are down. down. What about about the satellite? satellite? Is it snowing snowing in space? space? Don't Don't you have some some kind of a line line to keep open for emergencies emergencies or for celebrities? celebrities? I'm... And we'll hear him claim to be a celebrity in an emergency next minute. We're still more than a minute from the first resumption of the time loop, but we can see what this film is about. This man needs his comeuppance... And this small town is going to give it to him, but maybe not in the way we should expect. Thank you for listening. The Groundhog Day Project, Minute by Minute, is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. And you can follow all three shows now in one feed as well. Just search an existential trilogy. Follow the show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. Through time, what is wrong in the end, which never comes, or which comes again and again, laugh, lap, laughing, like waves. Since the Big Bang set everything in motion, everything that happens in this universe has to be the way it is. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon. Particles unfolding the way they're destined to. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day. <laughs> Yeah, you know, Groundhog Day is not a documentary. We live for ourselves until we realize that what we do does not matter. No. (laughs) That's a big change. We live for ourselves until we realize that what we do does matter.